Kei Satsukirai, men Kusai. Hey, this is episode 61 of the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast. I am rapping Patrick Macias, the co-author of A Kid's Guide to Anime in Manga. Is anime for kids? On that note, if you're rapping Patrick, I'm Mad Dog Matt Alt. I just made that up for myself. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the author of Pure Invention, How Japan Made the Modern World, and its associated newsletter, which I have been neglecting because I've been busy with other projects. Uh, how have you been in these last couple of weeks since we last spoke? I have been been locked up in my room with my quilled pen writing a story for I guess it's a major American newspaper it should be out soon I'll be sure to alert everyone when it happens I think all my Facebook posts got me you know a job writing wacky headlines for newspapers so hopefully there'll be some stuff in there about terrible American Godzilla movies that no sane person would enjoy or something like that wait a second you're writing for the lame stream media <laughs> fake news Matt <laughs> On a serious note, I look forward. I look forward to reading it. I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I can't think of anyone better to write about the foibles of our giant off-green friend Godzilla than you. As for myself, I have been working on some top secret projects, filming some interesting stuff. I spent last weekend with a famous Japanese rocker by the name of Mickey Curtis, uh, who was like a heartthrob in the '50s and '60s. Wait, 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 wait. Do you mean Boncho from Gunhead? Yes, yes. That's exactly what. That was so he was like a huge star in Japan in the 60s, but I only knew about him in the late 80s from his role in Gunhead, his all too short role in Gunhead. Although I was pleased to, to note, you know, for Gunhead fans, he looks just like that in real life beard, <laughs> like leather jacket, you know, wearing goggles, you know, laser pistol on his hip. Uh, he's still doing well at 85, and it was really cool hearing about, like, I don't know, the early days of Japanese rock when, like, you know, Elvis Presley first came to town. He was like front row when the Beatles came to town. He was like, you know, performing alongside big, big names like Q Sakamoto of the Sukiyaki song. So I really I'm hoping I can talk more about this in the weeks and months sure. and years to come. But it was a really interesting moment to spend with my favorite pal from Gunhead. No spoilers. Did he talk about Gunhead? Did he talk about Tex Mexium where we can score some? <laughs> I actually, I took a picture of us sitting on his couch together, holding the uh, holding the DVD together. I think I'm going to frame it and, and put it on my wall. You like it so much, you framed it and put it on your wall, man. Exactly. You know, he's been in a ton of movies like Kamikaze Taxi and uh, this this robot movie where he's like an old guy in a robot. Got so many of them, like starting in the 60s and going up to now. He has starred in movies before and, and quite a few of them, but he's sort of the ultimate character actor in a lot of 80s, 90s and, and hits from today. And you posted some pictures of him with his face painted half green as like Emperor Guillotine from some Tokusatsu show. So so yeah, so like Gunhead wasn't his first rodeo with Tokusatsu. He actually was the bad guy or one of the main bad guys, a mini boss. What's the word we're looking for? Sub boss. In, he looks kind of like those half black, half white guys from Star Trek, except he's half blue, half white, and he's the Emperor of Guillotines. He's awesome. He's awesome all around. He's the awesomest eighty-five year old I know. That's great. I can't wait to see uh, what's going to happen with you and Mickey Curtis. If you guys are going to like welcome the Tokyo Beatles back or something <laughs> exactly like start we're gonna get the band going again patrick I, I you know i wasn't even i wasn't even a twinkle in my parents eye when his when his star burst so to speak or when he burst onto the scene to, to actually find people who remember him as a star you have to find other 80 year olds because you know they were all like <laughs> they were all like in their you know teens and 20s at the time when he was he was kind of japan's first idol like heartthrob idol around that time so and he was quickly joined by other people in this kind of rockabilly boom that was the pre-group sounds boom it was it was cool and I 
hope to be able to write, speak, and talk more about this soon. But if you guys do play Budokan, let me and Kokujin Tensai open for you guys. We have like an epic rap battle of history for you. Just like the Drifters opened up for the Beatles. That was the that was an amazing moment. You sent me. Was it you who sent me the link to the the Beatles at Budokan High Definition? I did. I did. We've been on like a Beatles in Japan kick here at uh, Casa de Macias, and uh, someone I guess uploaded to YouTube just within the last year like the highest quality video footage of the Beatles live performance at Budokan in 1966. And it's not just the Beatles, it's all the opening acts. That's what it's really about. Yuya Uchida, uh, the Drifters, and everyone's like, the Beatles are kind of over it. They're about to stop touring and like record Sgt. Pepper's. But everyone else is like going for it. Everyone else is like, this is it. Japanese rock and roll. Welcome, Beatles. Hugh Sakamoto, like it's like a roster of hits. It's amazing. And they're like full on, like full. It's really the drifters I only know is like kind of from their 80s incarnation, like a 90s incarnation is like they kind of were the Saturday Night Live of Japan. They were like comedians at that point. And like I knew they could play instruments, but you know, seeing like the dorky guy in the in the group, like absolutely shredding on the drums is super <laughs> awesome. It's really, even if you're not like a huge Beatles fan, because I'm not, I mean, I like them. Sorry, I'm not a huge fan, but it, check it out. It's actually really worth seeing. It's on YouTube. It's a pretty super historical moment. And I like the image of like all the kind of like North Korean looking police officers yes. like patrolling <laughs> the aisles to make sure no one's like smiling or applauding. All dancers must remain in a vertical position. You know, it's like very, very regimented. But it's an amazing kind of cross-cultural moment. British rock is just coming in and completely transforming Japan's conceptions of what, you know, music can be. And uh, you know, we should have Peter Barakon on to talk about this. We should talk about the Tokyo Beatles. Yeah. Yes. The, yeah, I'm sure. Because, you know, they're the, they're the more arguably the more influential of between the Beatles and the Tokyo Beatles, which was a local group for like formed by random four random Japanese guys, I think we can say that the Tokyo Beatles were the, the bigger band. I feel a Beatles episode in the works, so let's put a pin in that and come back to it. But in the meantime, we're coming out of doing two episodes about music, music, music. So I guess that's why we have it on the brain. But at Pure Tokyo Scope, it's all about the news this week. Yeah, we really we really barreled through those last two. I've just been so busy these last couple of weeks, but so much has happened since then. It, it's it's really quite amazing. And I think actually before we even get into the news, I I, I think I want to just say that the thing I'm most grateful for right now is that the heat of Tokyo finally seems to be easing up a little bit. It was for a while, but today it's back in the 90s. I know it sucks, but I I actually managed to sleep without the air conditioning on for a couple days in a row earlier in the week. And I'm like, God, please, (laughs) please go back to being cool again. This was a cruel summer. I had to actually help out with the local neighborhood Matsuri like two weeks ago. So I had to like carry the like Mikoshi. Oh, you did that? It's the second time for me. Yonen Buri, it's been four years. So I was out of shape. And that's like the most I've sweated like in my entire life. I was about ready to pass out. You can replace those electrolytes with sake, I hear. Is that that what you did? That's what you're supposed to do. Or beer. Beer is an energy drink. I used to do matsuris in my local neighborhood too. But the problem was, uh, I don't know like how it is in yours, but I was by far, I just happened to be taller than everybody else. And so I was always shouldering like so much of the weight of that damn omikoshi because it was like kind of angled up on my shoulder. So I either had to like do the whole thing in a crouch or I'm like, you know, precariously, this thing weighs a ton, even 
small mikoshi, which are like portable shrines that are carried around in Japanese uh, street matsuri festivals, they weigh a ton, which is why you need, you know, it takes a nation to lift an omikoshi, except I felt like I was doing a lot of the lifting just because of my height. Um, so I kind of stopped doing it. But it sounds like you had a better experience than I did. Well, I feel like watching all those episodes of Shogun and like Richard Chamberlain, like, you know, always being held like at sword point to like do weird yes. Japanese traditional things is sort of like prepared me for this moment. So I'll do the best I can until my back gives out, which may not be much longer to be I know It's tough. The older you like, young people are just like into it, man. Like, and as they should be, because they're kind of like a lot of those festivals started as kind of fertility things and like kind of like letting yourself go and like kind of freaking out and going wild. But it's, it's, it's with the aging of Japan, including us, it takes a lot of uh, more effort to heft those things. So my Uzi weighs a ton for our 90s hip hop reference for the week. Well, speaking of traditional Japanese culture, Patrick, can I, can I talk about the first bit of news on our agenda? By all means, hit me with the headline. Studio Ghibli. Do you, have you heard of this place? It's, I think it's an animation studio. Studio Ghibli, Miyazaki Hayao's iconic Japanese cartoon home, has sold a controlling stake to Nippon Television, Patrick. Okay, first of all, I love this headline because it makes it sound like he lives there. like In, in a cartoon home. <laughs> his iconic cartoon home, and he sits on the porch like drinking country time lemonade, like yelling at people for liking anime or something. Well, I was thinking more, is this like Cool World, Ralph Bakshi's Cool World, where he's like living in an animated world when he's not in the real world with us? I'd like to hope so. So NTV is going to make Ghibli a subsidy of NTV, right? Is that how it's going to work? Is M music television? Is it like how DuPont is a subsidy of like Dow Chemical? Or It sounds really awesome. What's been going on here, it, it was kind of a surprise that NTV, Nippon Television, one of Japan's major uh, broadcast networks, it's kind of a surprise that they bought Ghibli or bought a controlling stake in Ghibli and kind of not. And the reason why it's kind of not is because they've always had a really close relationship with Ghibli. They broadcast Nausicaa back when it was first broadcast on TV and when showing movies on TV was a really big deal in the 80s. They were the ones who did that. And so they kind of kept the broadcast rights to all Ghibli stuff. And they always had a really close relationship. It's also really well known that the Studio Ghibli has not had a really good track record. In fact, a totally zero track record in finding a successor to Miyazaki Hayao and Isao Takahata who were helming it for so many years. You know what I mean? Oh, except for this one guy called Goro Miyazaki who apparently like was left out of the conversation that like no one wants. It's like a Richard III kind of a situation, I imagine. So it's it's interesting because people around the world love Japanese like shokunin, which is like craftspersonship and like traditional crafts work and stuff like that. And Studio Ghibli is run kind of like a traditional craftsperson studio. The problem with that is when the craftsperson is done, the studio is done. And we live in a kind of post-capitalist, late capitalist, like hyper-consumer society where that will not be allowed to happen. So, you know, they, over the years, they tried to groom all sorts of successors, but it didn't work out for whatever reason, mainly because I'm sure Miyazaki and Takahata were insanely, insanely difficult to work with, you know, control freaks and all of that. You know, Ghibli had already kind of transitioned out of a kind of full-time studio model into kind of more licensing, merchandising, running of theme parks one. So it's not really surprising they sold out their, you know, their, a stake, this, this controlling stake in their catalog and like their studio and stuff. But the big question is where it's going to go from. Because I guess Miyazaki's sort of out of retirement again. Did you see this? Yeah, I saw all these stories saying he's back. He's coming back out of retirement. And it's just like, again. Well, yeah, he had already, I think this is number nine. Wasn't that what the Beatles song was is about? Is this like when Stallone says this will be his last Rocky movie? There'll be no more after this? He's notorious for saying he's going to quit and then coming back. Well, not 
quitting in the middle, like saying I'm done with animation after he finishes a project and coming back. I don't even know why people report on this anymore. It's it's like I just take it as fake news every time I read it. When every time I hear, you know, Miyazaki is quote unquote quitting. It's like when Jim Belushi is like doing the intro for like the too legit to quit video by MC Hammer, and he says MC Hammer has quit, and it's big news. And now from the world of entertainment, a late breaking story and a major shock to Western culture as we know it. Hammer has quit. At the peak of his popularity, and on the eve of the biggest concert of his career, Hammer has disappeared. And it appears that Hammer has indeed quit. Well, if anybody's too legit to quit, it is definitely Miyazaki. And uh, I have no idea where this is going, but it's there's some you know concern that with you know corporate suits, so to speak, running the studio, are they going to be able to maintain their level of quality that they've been able to do by basically doing whatever Miyazaki wanted to do for the last you know couple of decades? Yeah, there have been these sightings of Miyazaki like around Tokyo recently, throwing cash around and making it <laughs> rain. So presumably, they must have handed him an envelope with a bunch of bills or something like that. The boy and his heron did very, very well at the box office and they're projecting it's going to do very, very well abroad. So this idea of making quirky, intensely personal movies like once a decade that, it, you know, it's working for them. It's it's working very well. Like it wouldn't work for any other studio, but it is for them. And the question is really, you know, can you, can you keep that lightning, so to speak, bottled? I don't really know. So to be continued, put a pin in it until 10 years from now. Let's revisit and see what a good idea or bad idea this was. My prediction for the fight, merchandising. That's where the real money from the film comes from. <laughs> oh, the money's in action figures, Patrick. Isn't that what, that's what, <laughs> that's an actual quote. That's an actual quote from George Lucas. So let's go from pop culture to high culture, Matt, here with our next story. Taro Okamoto's atomic bomb mural in Tokyo to be restored. To, just to give a little context for people about why this is interesting, who might not be regular Tokyoites, Shibuya Station, which is one of the major train stations on the Yamanote line in downtown Tokyo, uh, when it was renovated about 15 or 2008. So, you know, however many years ago that is, I can't, I don't feel like calculating right now. 15. When it was renovated back then, um, they opened it up a lot and they put this giant wall mural by Okamoto Taro, the famous pop artist. Who's the most famous work, Patrick? I think he's probably Japan's most famous avant-garde artist of the 20th century. Painter, sculptor, I guess most famous for the designing the Tower of the Sun statue that was a centerpiece of Osaka Expo 70. Right. And yeah, he did this mural. And it's a pretty amazing piece of work. It's giant for one thing. Like It's like 30 meters long on the bottom. So that's like what? It's like 150 feet long on a series of like interconnected canvases. So it's like probably about, I don't know, seven or 10 of them just kind of linked together. And it's this, it's this really amazing, amazing pop image. Like it's very pop art, but its subject matter is actually kind of surprising, which is it's like, it's showing people getting like immolated in a nuclear holocaust, <laughs> which is not exactly the kind of thing you associate with like public art. Exactly. And well, it's one of the reasons I love it. It's a very powerful painting about a very, very powerful subject. And that JR, which is a normally like a, a pretty, you know, this is this is like one of the major stations of Tokyo. And this is like one of the most public places in Tokyo. And they put this incredibly, incredibly vibrant and powerful piece of art up there on the wall that's actually even challenging, even a little disturbing if you start looking at the details of it. So I've always really loved it. I've really enjoyed having this painting on the wall there. But it is starting to 
to show its kind of dirt. Have you noticed this? Like when you walk by, it's kind of dusty. There's like- I haven't noticed that because I'm always taking selfies of myself directly across from it because you can see out the windows into the Shibuya scramble. This is true. Turn that frown upside down and turn that phone back around and start using the start using this image of nuclear holocaust as your backdrop. I'm sure you'll increase your followers. I'm sure it'll be a laugh riot for all your Instagram friends. But anyway, yeah, they're actually taking it down. So Shibuya Station in general, I'm sure you have noticed this, is undergoing massive, massive. It's not even a renovation. They're like knocking it down and rebuilding it better, stronger, faster. Have you have you been in there recently? They reconstructed it in 2008. It feels like they haven't stopped since yes. 2008. It feels like it's been nonstop guys in hard hats running around and you always have to take a detour or like switch. It's it's a it's a nightmare. It's one of the most annoying stations to go through right now. It's amazing that they're able to like, you know, in America, they just say, you know, screw it. We're shutting the whole station down for a year. You know, you're screwed getting to work. But in Japan, they're actually kind of adept at that changing the station around even while it's still being in use. But yeah, like the, the pathways and stuff seem to change all the time. But the, you know, the biggest change is yet to come. When this is finished, and I forget when it's supposed to be finished, like in a couple years, Hachiko is actually going to be moved up off the ground level to like a second floor veranda or something like I that. I can't even imagine. I know. It's just they're totally, totally changing it around. And already, like, you know, we've said this in previous episodes, so I don't want to go over this too much. Shiba used to be this really low kind of city, this low neighborhood. The buildings were never never really that much taller than maybe six, 10 stories with the exception of, uh, of, of like the 109 tube. Now it's like surrounded by giant skyscrapers, just absolutely giant skyscrapers. And people with free hug signs and people with like, follow me on YouTube signs. Like it's just become like this nutty, like Times Square, you know, tourist spot. I avoid that entire, I have, I avoid that entire, uh, Hachiko Square, like the plague. It's like, it, it must be a literal plague breeding ground. People are cheek to jowl in there. It's it's really tightly packed. Fun note for Tokusatsu fans, Shibuya has been destroyed beautifully twice. One time in 1961's Mothra, where you can actually kind of get a sense of what Shibuya looked like, you yes. know, back then, like, you know, 60 years ago, 60 plus years ago, when it was a very low city. And maybe the only, the biggest thing in town was Tokyo Tower. is like yeah. the only real landmark that had any kind of like presence on the skyline. And then I guess in Gamera 3, when Gamera shows up, he nukes that whole area. And it's one of the greatest Tokusatsu scenes of all time. Yeah. Yeah, those Gamera flicks, the Heisei Gamera flicks are some of the most amazing kaiju films ever. They also, they, they destroyed Kyoto Station, the controversial Kyoto Station. Oh, you I mean the thinking. tourists? Like they're destroying Shibuya now? Yeah, kind of. Well, see, the tourists are more like, that's more like a Dawn of the Dead kind of thing. It's not like a kaiju attack, so. Yeah, someday we should really go to the Tower of the Sun in Osaka because it's still there. And you know what? They open it up like once or twice a year. And I didn't know this until pretty late in the game that inside of it are all these like wacky animals animatronic dinosaurs and like cavemen and like amoeba like it's it's like a weird like disneyland style ride inside of it well it sounds a little like heaven on earth patrick it's a bit like the tardis or something like that but we gotta go let's know we totally have to go let's 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 figure that out we'll do that we'll make that happen but speaking of attacks can i talk about our next piece of news is it a Big Mac attack? Man? It involves a Big Mac attack. I saw this erupting, this tempest in a teapot, this like non-controversy was erupting in my feeds last week and I just didn't even pay any attention to it because it was too stupid. Are you outraged about something on social media, Matt? I'm, I'm outraged by the outrage. You know, last week, McDonald's released an ad, like an anime ad, and it's just, it's it's like a 15 second clip of nothing but like a, what it seems to be a father, a mother, and a little girl enjoying uh, burgers and fries together like that's it but of course the internet found something to get angry about i don't quite understand this what, what do they get angry about this was a huge controversy for like one day we haven't really heard from our ai generation
generated voice in a while. So let's have it read some of the comments on social media about this McDonald's ad. Thank you for making me depressed McDonald's Japan. What would I do without you? That anime McDonald's ad is my nightmare. It's creepy how the mom has the exact same proportions as the child. Like literally down to the hands. Is McDonald's now trying to appeal to pedophiles? Yes, because apparently, like, two parents and a little girl is a pedophile now. It's just like, I don't even get, I don't even get this. I don't get what people are. I'm not even outraged. I'm, I'm confused. I think this is the first time I felt old on the internet. Yeah, well, the thing is, this ad triggers my anxiety because it's done in the lo-fi hip-hop beats to listen and hang yourself to style. It totally is. And I worked in an office and they insistently played that freaking music over and over and over again yes. until it made me, well, I didn't work there anymore. Do those? Do those actually, I have to ask, do those, like, we listen to those channels a lot when we were working too, like on translations and stuff. They're great to have this backdrop for like just kind of repetitive drudge work. What, are they still around or have they all been like nuked by the algorithm? No, I think they're still around. There's more than ever probably. It is kind of triggering though. Anime, McDonald's, who could have imagined it? Like given that there's been 6 million other anime mashups in McDonald's in Japan over the last, I don't know, entire existence of the company. But you must admit the controversy did generate a lot of hits for the ad campaign, Matt. <laughs> and you know, in the modern world, that's all that matters, Patrick. So there's one restaurant. Maybe we could try to put together a campaign like this for them. Can we get the entire design and animation staff from Crusher Joe together to do Shakey's? Oh man, that was so great. Yeah. <laughs> they have like two middle-aged podcasters from another country, like at the pizza buffet, like smiling and feeding each other and people can get outraged. <laughs> like Lady and the Tramp. They're like both chewing on opposite ends of a piece of pizza, like one of those dried out pieces of pizza that's been sitting under the heat lamps, you know, on, on the buffet for a while. It's true. It's also cultural appropriation. Japanese appropriating American banjo culture. Well, as long as you pay a licensing fee, it's okay. As long as you like own the franchise, then I think it's okay. Can you license the banjo? Is there like Joe Banjo? Do you have to like, do you have to speak to the heirs of banjo to get to be able to, to play like bluegrass banjo picking music? I don't know. Actually, speaking of outrage, can I inject a new little piece of news in here that's actually like indirectly related to this? Because we were just talking about AIs and algorithms and stuff like that. Okay, hit me with your best shot. You may have heard because it was just announced in the last 24 hours or so that Meta's AI, you know, Meta, like, like Facebook, Meta has its own AI, its own like rival to chat GPT and like whatever the hell else is out there. And it became known, I haven't read closely enough to see who blew the lid off this case like Shaft, uh, that they used 183,000 books that were scanned and used to train the AI without permission from the authors. These included things from like, you know, Stephen King, big names, you can name them. But the Atlantic Monthly, the magazine made like a search tool so you can go through and see what books were actually used to make up the kind of mental DNA of this giant AI dystopian database. And guess what, Pat? Guess what? I did a search. I did a couple searches. There's two of our books in there. Here what? it goes in mine. Yes, Yokai Attack and Ninja Attack are in there. And then what I, about me? I, you're not in there, but you know who is? 
W. David Marks. Ame Tora is in there. I'm not in the club. You're not in the club, but I don't think this is a club you want to be in unless <laughs> it goes to the Supreme Court. So, Mr. King, if you're listening, please sick your lawyers on these guys in a giant class action suit for all of us little people out there who don't, you know, get to make as much money off our books as you do. Yeah, I like the sound of that. Okay, I'm rooting for you. I'll write to my congressman. It's funny, like, you know, if some random person bought my book and then went around spouting off like facts about yokai, I would think it's really awesome. But like, given that this is some kind of faceless corporate entity that's kind of hoovered in the content and is now presumably using it to monetize God knows what, um, I feel like, you know, hand out, keep laying the 10,000 yen bills. I miss the good old days when people would just rewrite your stuff and put it on Wikipedia and then Wikipedia <laughs> would ask you to donate because it was hard work for them to do it. Hi, this is Jimmy Wales. I only know this name from seeing these. Can you give me more money for running Wikipedia? I know you're using it a lot. I'm watching you. I haven't seen one of those in a while. One of those please give us more money things from uh, Wikipedia. I don't know. They should do a telethon. I don't know with who though. Not with me, that's for sure. Okay, Matt, um, on that yes. note, do you remember where you were on the early hours of September? <laughs> Number 26. <laughs> Why, Patrick? Because the next headline here reads, Robbery and injury at a toy store robbed of gunpla and other items in Tochigi. In the early hours of the 26th, the manager of a toy store in Utsunamiya City was punched in the face and other items, including plastic models from the popular anime mobile suit Gundam, were stolen. The store's security camera footage showed a group of four people and police are investigating the incident as a robbery. When the police investigated, they found that the store had no merchandise left, and according to the store manager, plastic models from the popular anime mobile suit Gundam were stolen, and the amount of damage was at least 300,000 yen. Shit's getting real in Utsunomiya. I mean, okay, look, I don't want to laugh here like it's assault. Like, stealing and assault, it's bad, okay? It's really bad. I hope they catch these guys and they're punished because, you know, breaking into a store and then beating up the owner is not a good thing. But I... It, gunpla. Somebody went to all this effort to heist Gunpla. Gunpla. Gundam plastic models. I, I... The mind boggles. So it says here the thieves were in the store for less than five minutes and they got away with the equivalent of like 300,000 yen. So what, like $2,500 worth of gunpla? That's gun a plot? lot of gunpla, man. I want, did this guy have like super like rare gunpla? I can't I can't quite wrap my brain around this. Now, this is like national news. It's been on like on rotation in Abema TV like nonstop for the past 48 hours. And they're showing the size of the kits that they stole. And they're going for the big ones. They're going yeah. for like Ichiman kits. They're not going for like those tiny little ones that we used to buy like in 1981 or whatever. They obviously cased the joint. Was this a quote unquote professional job? Look, all sympathy to the guy who runs the store and, and who suffered all of this. But thank God this is like the level of crime that we're dealing with in Japan right now, you know? Like nobody was killed or even like seriously injured. No one overdosed on fentanyl or anything like that. I mean, it's amazing that this is like high crime in Japan. Yeah, the crimes are either like Pokemon cards. Now we're seeing gunpla theft or like a guy named Luffy like murders the elderly neighbor next door. Well, putting things, putting, you know, all joking aside, I think that, you know, there's there's always been kind of crimes associated with like big, big name, you know, pop cultural products in Japan. Like there were there were like news panics about like kids getting mugged for their Dragon Quest games or like kids. There were like a bunch of kids were injured way back in the in the early 80s when there was like a rush to buy Gundam plastic models, you know, in a, in a department store in Chiba. So I guess what we can say is that, you know, Gunpla's identity by itself causes violence. Is that what the, the Sesame Street takeaway is here? This is the money quote from the article. 
article in the Japanese news here. Regarding the incident, the store manager said, I feel frustrated and angry that my products were taken away without any compensation. That's just like you, Matt, you in the Atlantic. I, it is. It, you know, I feel punched in the face by Meta and a bunch of people heisted my my, my and Hiroko's books, man. God, everything, it's, everything comes full circle. And I, I hope that I say it in a really robotic sounding way through a translator when I'm finally quoted about it. Yeah, the name of the place is called Big Hobby and it looks like exactly the kind of place we would go to. Oh, totally. Uh, it's, it's like rows and rows and rows of, of like Gunpla. There's probably some toys in there and it's just like a little hobby shop like in the middle of nowhere. It's not like like a knock on a Broadway thing where there's like, you know, a bunch of other things around it. It looks like a Pizza Hut or something. Honestly, this makes me want to go and drop a bunch of money just to support this guy and who knows, maybe I will. Yeah, and to fund the trip there, maybe you can sell some of those stolen Gunpla kits at Mandarake. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, my ba- you know, I can't, you might be hearing some echoing that's because it's echoing off all of the Gundam kits that me and my crew as the kids say uh <laughs> me and my crew like we, we pulled a job as they say is this like when uh Lupin the third was busted at the end of Castle of Cagliostro for stealing Clarice's heart oh, God. <laughs> What they have to do is they have to put like uh, explosive like paint balloons inside of yes. gunpla kits now or something like that so they can trace the crooks. Actually, on that note, I've really been wanting to do a deep dive on those. Have you noticed those like orange like paint balls that are, that are at like convenience stores and banks and post offices? Like when you are robbed, you're supposed to like hurl those at the assailants, I guess. They're like kind of like smaller than a baseball and they're full of paint. And like you're supposed to physically like pick one up and throw it like hand grenade style at the person. Wait, that explains explains why they're always throwing orange paintballs at me whenever I leave the 7-Eleven. I was wondering what that meant. That was a cultural thing, like the Matsuri. <laughs> well, you're supposed to pay for those gunpla when you take them out of the store, Patrick. That's part of it. But no, seriously, it's, it's an anti-crime device I haven't seen anywhere else but Japan. And I am really curious, has it ever been used? Has it ever worked to, uh, uh, to apprehend a thief? Um, it couldn't have worked in this particular case with the gunpla robbery because those guys broke in in the dead of night and the owner came running out when the when the alarm triggered his smartwatch. God, we're living in the 21st century. Smartwatches, alarms, Gundam robots. So the paintballs wouldn't have worked then. But, you know, next time, let's do a deep dive on Japanese consumer theft prevention devices. That sounds fascinating. We can get like Yoshiki Tomino to come in and weigh in on it. <laughs> the problem with kids these days is, I'm sure he'd have a lot of thoughts about problems with kids these days. Earth is in trouble. Enemy attack! Enemy attack! We need the Gundams. It's here. All new Gundam wing action figure model kits. That's a mobile suit! Build your own Gundam mobile suit. A Gundam! Snap together multicolor pieces. No glue required. Extreme articulation. Pick your favorite or collect them all. Gundams are on Earth. Roger that. Gundam wing action figure model kits. Only from Bandai. Well, Matt, we've had a lot of fun today on the Pure Tokyo Scope podcast, but there's nothing funny about a family sitting around eating chicken McNuggets. In fact, it's downright offensive. Thank you so much for listening. Please continue to support our show, and we'll be back real soon with another. Hit that subscribe button, people. Do we have a subscribe button? Do we have a subscribe button? No. Yeah, somewhere. Okay, just <laughs> okay whatever. Hit subscribe to something. Bye.